0: Welcome to this week's episode of The Modern Good. I'm your host, Busy Gold, and Conscious Construction starts right now. Taco, I've literally watched, I think, every podcast you've ever done. I watched your TED Talk, shared your TED Talk with my fiance, who came to me the next morning. He was like, that was the most inspirational thing I've ever heard. I want to share it with every man that I know. He was absolutely not only enamored with your presence on the stage, but the message I think really hit home to him. And I think it's so important that we bring men more into this conversation. So I would love to pass the floor to you and just ask, you know, for those of you that might not have seen the TED talk, I highly recommend going to talk. You're going to actually look at that TED talk on YouTube. How was that TED talk received after you actually gave the talk itself?
1: yeah very interesting, and please go as long today as you need to okay because I'm the one that was tardy in in, in the process um, b- very well received, but but you know for the most for the most part, other than your listeners today, most folks are completely oblivious that this is going on, right? So shock and awe, I mean probably a lot of 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 what we received immediately after the TED talk. The interesting thing though is if you work with the TED organization out of San Francisco, you do nine rehearsals. For these things right and um i came to them and said guys I'm, I'm the first they said yaku we wanted you to do a ted talk on your life and i said no i'm not interested i'll do a ted talk on sex trafficking and they said okay send it in to us you know you've scripted out and i said it's not how i work i'm going to pray about it and in the day of we're going to speak with what... because there's so much information i've been fighting this thing for 25 years right i mean i could talk for hours you get 15 minutes And I literally would show up at rehearsals, and I'd listen to everybody's rehearsals, and I'd say, hey, my name is Yaku, and and that's it. And the day off, the producers were so nervous, they they didn't know. And so it it went over very well, uh, shock and awe. And then for those who are in the industry, what's always good, Busy, is when, when it corroborates the hard work people are doing, right? When the other people in the fight, when they come back and say thank you, spreading the word that that is what's happening, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah. I mean, watching people, I mean, obviously it's dark as are most Ted talks around the audience, but you could see people's body language start to get uncomfortable and you read the crowd so well that at those moments you're like, yeah, am I making you uncomfortable? (laughs) This is uncomfortable. And I think part of what's gone on is that we've done, we've, moved into this sector, I think, in general with hard questions, that people just are allowed to now avoid them and say that they're triggered and back away from the conversation. And it's so important that we actually help people learn how to not just learn how to exist in a place of uncomfortability, but to still function cognitively through the uncomfortability because a lot of the way our civilization is going to change is not by being able to just put up your hands and say safe space i'm triggered it's going to be to learn how to ground your feet and actually listen to the other person and be able to move through that cognitive distance because you could see people in that audience especially when you touched on the male porn connection how many people in that audience you could tell they already were like oh god is he talking to me how does he know about my life yeah (laughs) and and, and
1: And I love that, though. I love that because we need to, and you're so right, we have to help our society be grounded in tough stuff. We can't run. We've run too much, and it's because we run, you know, when we play see no evil, hear no evil, that these these things escalate and they bleed into society and they're hidden in plain sight for that very reason.
0: So where are some of the places that – I love how on your podcast that you did with Rudy Giuliani, you really focused on the commercialization of human trafficking rather than just human trafficking as its own entity, because we know that human trafficking has existed and exists broadly in other countries as well. but as you mentioned in that podcast, we really focus on in the U.S. this new found commercialization of human trafficking. What are the tentacles of the commercialization? Like, How do they get in the minds of children? How do they get parents distracted? How do they get in the minds of men? How do they coordinate all of this to commercialize it, in your opinion?
1: This is a little bit of Sun Tzu. If you know Sun Tzu, I had to I serve do. in the military in my in country. This is Sun Tzu, and it's anybody that's good at the art of war, whether it's war on our children, war on an economy, or whatever it is, the, the basic principles apply, right? It's the Trojan horse mentality. You have to infiltrate. You have to. You fight from within. You don't fight from without. And, w- and this is the scary part is people need to understand that it's we've been infiltrated into the systems which we already approve, this is how this works. So if they can infiltrate into a, an education system where your guard is down, your radar is down, you're not every day thinking about what's the curriculum, what are they teaching my kids, you know, your radar is not up. If they can infiltrate there, that's Trojan horse. They're behind the wall, and they can sneak it in, and, and they invest a lot of time, much like terrorists would. They, they scope – they go do reconnaissance they take a lot, it's a long game and this is why the groomers as well take a long game so in the commercialization of this is the, the the best way to commercialize it to its full extent is you have to normalize it you have to get it to a place to where society almost does not want to frown upon it and, and in cases defend it And defend it with a different face. You change the face of a crime. You change the face of it. You make it normal by by changing the face of it, right? By changing language, verbiage, right? You don't say prostitute anymore. Now it's sex work.
0: Sex worker.
1: It's work. It's It's subtle, but listen to what I'm saying. Well, people should work, right? Because people will point to me and say, Yaku, you say people should work. You're a capitalist. It's sex work. All of a sudden, it's softer, now, now, over time, people go, well, okay, if that's your choice of work, no, it's not. You know, it's not work. There's, there's force, force, fraud, or coercion in it. So this is how you do it. You desensitize a population by changing their language, very much like what Hollywood does with, with, with film ratings. PG-13 30 years ago, you, well, you it. was that very,
0: very different. Completely,
1: completely. And how did we get to where we are now is you change the language you repeat it enough, and you desensitize it, and then you get some pioneers that push for change in that direction, such as the comprehensive sex ed curriculum that's pushed into schools. You get some of your, your, you know, as when I say Hollywood, I just mean those who lead us through entertainment. You get some of them on the wagon to push towards, well, this is more humane. This is more subtle. People should be allowed to do what they do. The love is love movement, for instance, that... Wants to give pedophiles rights in this country. And there's hundreds of thousands of signatures on this thing. But people say, well, a pedophile, if he was born that way, then we need to protect him. You know, and so that's how you do it so that you can commercialize it. Because ultimately what happens is is the legal system follows culture. Right. And so it's culture, it's culture, entertainment, and then comes the judicial system. And if we in culture can desensitize These kind of acts, the laws that are good that exist will not be enforced, and ultimately we will write laws to support the crime. It's just how
0: because it, it changes the entire social mores system around the issue itself so then we end up in a position where good people have now been duped into supporting a change of law that they've been made to believe is actually progressive and good for humanity when really this is what I would refer to often in my teaching as false light where it looks like they pitch it to you as something that's humanitarian progressive in nature on the outside but what lies underneath it is something much more dark and decrepit that is literally built to change your social attitudes that you then end up supporting the change of law. 100%,
1: and it's multidisciplinary, right? You said the tentacles, and that's exactly how you should look at it. Look at it as a brain, as an octopus. There's a goal, and then there's these multiple tentacles to accomplish the goal, and it reaches into every sector of society. It's not just one. It's not one-dimensional because you can stop a one-dimensional attack. Again, Sun Tzu, you don't, in the old British way, here we are, here's our flag. We're going to march against you. No, it's not how you attack. You surround. You infiltrate. You come from angles, so they'll get into the – into the, you know, judicial system. They'll get into, you know, the, the school system with education. They'll come with shame and say, well, if you frown upon, you know, sex work, right, you, you're, 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 you know, in some way profiling and, and that's wrong and they'll shame you for it. And all of a sudden, look, evil exists when good men do nothing. That's it. And, and how did we get to a place where good men do nothing is you, you convince them that it's normal, you shame them out of it. You push them out of it. For some reason, they, they, they are duped, as you say. They take the bait, which we do in our country on, many, on most issues. We take the bait, and then we back up, and we forfeit territory. In this case, the territory we're forfeiting is our future. It's our children. Yeah.
0: And I think that's a very important point to make, because I think a lot of people that have allowed, and I'll say the progressive agenda, right? I'm going to put that in kind of air quotes because not, in my opinion, not all aspects of agendas that could be considered progressive are not inherently evil, particularly like this one. But I think so many people have allowed this progressive agenda and feeling like you have to back it. To be considered a good person in today's world, because that's kind of where the narrative has shifted, where you're not a you're not a good humanitarian unless you back the progressive agenda. I think not enough people are understanding that these particular aspects that they're allowing to slip under the radar or allow the social mores toward this particular avenue to shift, are it's like offering your own child up on the chopping block. And everyone thinks that somehow they're immune to it, but nobody's immune to it. As we've dealt with in other podcast episodes when we talked to Kira, Everyone's child is potentially a victim here, at least in my opinion. I don't think human trafficking necessarily targets only one type of person. It targets an overall attitude and emptiness and longing to be validated and seen, which unfortunately is exactly the problem that I think the majority of our especially young teens, those just hitting puberty are having across the board. So it's not like it's just this one poverty stricken community. It's our communities as well. Have you seen any... I'm sure you have, since you've been in it for so long. Is there a trend in what type of background, socioeconomic background, ends up typically underlying getting eventually coerced into sex trafficking?
1: Yeah, you make good points. And you talk about Kara right? And and you gave me some of her history and she's she's very, very well accomplished. I'll say this to you. This crime does not this crime does not discriminate at all, right? It and this is going to sound harsh because you're an educated audience, so we're going to go there. We're not going to mince around. It's a body. No, I mean- it's a body to sell. It's a body to sell. They don't care if it's black, white, Hispanic, Native American. If it's coming from an upper class family, a runaway child. Now there are certain trends we can follow. Yes, and it has progressively changed because of multimedia. Mm-hmm. So, so you, it used to only be the runaway and the kidnapped kid, right? Now, now, today, our foster care system is completely infiltrated, hundred percent.
0: Thank you for bringing that up. I've brought that up before, and people get very resistant yeah, I to don't that. Care how, clearly, I don't mean, a problem. Look,
1: if 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 I offend people this with this, they need to go check their hearts. And so 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 this is the, a,
0: this is in my podcast. It's not possible to offend anyone. So you just go there, a hundred percent.
1: Don't hold back. Sixty percent, sixty percent of children in foster care today have been sexually abused. Doesn't mean they've been trafficked. 30% of them are repeatedly trafficked. This is just a fact, right? So no, it doesn't profile. It's black, white, Hispanic, upper, middle, and lower class. It's just different forms of trafficking. You don't traffic a kid from um, Oaklawn, uh, Oak Dallas in the projects the same as you traffic a girl from Highland Park where, you know, former President Bush lives. It's a different method of trafficking because those two children, those two girls predominantly, girls but boys as well, have different needs. Ultimately, this is all about filling void. It's a void. It's a hole inside somebody that needs affirmation. All of us, you, me, all of us have a sign on our forehead that says, make me feel important. All of us. If I know through profiling and history, and these guys are experienced, they know what they do. If I know what makes what makes busy feel good, right? What's our ultimate dream? Yours. And what's her biggest fear? If I know those two things, I can move you in anywhere over time. Now, if you're a 12-year-old girl who's going through puberty, who can't talk to her father, who can't talk to anybody, who's having her first period, whose hormones is going nuts, she's recognizing boys, she's realizing boys her age are stupid, she likes older boys, she's a sitting duck. No matter if your dad is a billionaire or you're sitting in the projects, that part of life is the same. Now, to answer your question more pointedly, yes, the runaway child is higher at risk because nobody's fighting for that child, right? That child is left to the streets. The foster child is at a higher risk because of turnover. The average foster child in our country moves 10.3 times every 24 months. Think about that. I mean, there's no consistency, right? So yes, they're at higher risk, but I'll make the argument that there is a massive explosion for direct for buyer the buyer to the child direct connection where children are self-trafficking they're self-pimping today online without knowing it
0: i've even seen some deep dives on how they're even learning how to use specific hashtags to show that they're self-trafficking that's absolutely
1: quite absolutely and and just by the way for people that say well well then the kid you know remember 17 and under the child's a victim i don't care if that child stands naked in times square with a sign above their head saying please traffic me that's a victim it's a victim because it's a child however i've not met a single victim in 25 years that when rescued self-identified as a victim because the coercion and the manipulation is so deep the need for affirmation and the father figure and the need for love for whatever it is is so deep. But it's so easy. We have girls that are trafficked by willingly going with a trafficker purely because he's willing to give her a hairdo and take her to the nail salon. That's from the projects. It's stuff. You traffic girls from the projects with stuff. You give them things in life that they've dreamt about but they don't have access to. The girl in Highland Park or in Bel Air you're not going to get her with stuff. All she has is stuff. She's, she doesn't have real attention. Her mm-hmm. father solves every problem with money and stuff. That girl needs word of af- words of affirmation. You give a kid in the project words of affirmation, they don't even trust you. They don't believe you. Yeah. But you give that girl from an upper uh, uh, class family words of affirmation, real attention, and you're willing to listen, man, you could do anything. So it's different forms. But yes, your your destitute children who do not have parents that fight for them is still the largest number. But then again, only 1% of this crime is reported.
0: Very true. And Kira, on a previous episode, actually did a whole dive through all the data over many, many years yeah. in geographic regions. Yeah. So I think... Everyone at this point, at least on my podcast, understands the magnitude of the problem. So you brought up a couple of things that I really want to dig into. Number one, the father wound is something that keeps coming up. In fact, Adrian, who works closely with me, already typed in and said, I love this man, spill it all. And then the next thing she said was the father wound. And then you went right into that. So I think one of the things that Keeps coming up, whether you're looking at obviously like the time that we're in right now where there's a lot of racial tension, there's a lot of cultural tension. The father wound is something that is, I think, the tie that connects all of these things together. Do you have any words of wisdom for men that listen to this podcast on what they can do personally to check in with themselves, make sure that they're really stepping up to the plate, being honest with themselves about whether they're actually being there for their child or laying the groundwork to be there for their child? It looks like you're a fantastic father and you spend a lot of time motivating other men to step up to the plate. What would you tell them to do?
1: You can only, you can only teach what you know. And this is a problem. You can't teach something you don't know. If you're not a tennis player, you can't teach me to play tennis, you know? And so what I want to tell these fathers, the men and the women to encourage their husbands is they need to go get an identity. Our men and our culture do not have identity. They don't know who they are. They can't tell you. Do you know that 80% of people, men, 85% of men, if you ask them, who are you, they'll give you their name and their job description. It's not who you are. They don't know themselves. They don't know that they have a father. They don't know that they need to go seek out a mentor. They don't know that they need to profile who's mentoring them. It's not, it's not Lil Wayne or whoever the latest rap song is, right, or and, and whatever. So, so identity is everything. So they need to proactively say, I want, look, I need to find out who I am. Secondly, I'm responsible. I can't pass this on to anybody else. We're in a culture where we want to move responsibility onto everybody else. We are responsible individually. Forget about the nation. Get back down to the one. You know, you know. I'm a strong, my, my faith is everything. And, and you know, God says, I'll leave 99 for one. The one matters. That father needs to say, okay, I didn't have a father. I realized and recognized now that it is why I'm struggling with everything I'm struggling with. And I'm now responsible to either Perpetuate the cycle or stop it. No one else can do this for me, so I need to go do some real soul searching about who am I, and find help. Seek it out. It's my responsibility to seek it out. And for the women on here, it's, if you're married, it's your responsibility to sit with your husband and say, "I want to help you." Let's because the father wound is the. Number one thing in our nation—it's everything you're seeing today, whether it's the Minneapolis riots or whatever—it is it, the, there's such an important role for fathers. Look, mothers, you, you're you're connected to every child, and I always tell people there's not a single human being that can raise their hand and say they didn't come out of a woman's womb. We're all connected to a mother, but it takes hard work to be connected to a father. Mutually, the father needs to initiate. The father needs to really, and you can father children that are not yours. You can father a community, right? But by by in first self recognizing it, you can't be the dad that tells your son, "Don't smoke," with a cigarette in your hand. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. You they want to see you're doing the effort. You're humbling yourself. You're going through the the tough stuff to 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 work. And so we need to invest. In our culture, not just the African-American culture, everybody, we've got women with father wounds, predominantly these girls have father wounds. So for the men, self-recognize, first find your identity, right, And, and then recognize that you are responsible. You can't pass this on to anybody else and then step up to the plate. The men needs to step up to the plate. We need to do this. Our culture is suffering because men have forgotten to be men. And I'm not taught men are not more important than women. We are absolutely equal, but we're not playing our part. We're asking women we have. And I was raised by a single mom, so I know. Trust me. It took me decades to get over my father wounds. Decades. Speaking from experience, we are asking women to step up and do men's work in this country, meaning raising our children, our younger generation, right? and that's why we see such holes.
0: Do you have any recommendations? Because from the, and I'm 100% in support of everything that you're saying, and I work with a lot of people on trying to address these core wounds from childhood and problem solve and rewire how to get themselves out of the brain pattern that they're currently in. For a lot of men, I think the question that would first come up would be, well, how do I find out who I am, right? Which seems like an obvious, you know, I always try to tell them it's like the formation of a diamond. You have to bump up against a bunch of things that you realize, oh, wow, I really don't like this. This doesn't suit me at all to try to narrow the pathway to figure out who you are and what you stand for. So that pathway is going to be full of discomfort, obviously. But other than being able to kind of narrow that path and discover and explore things, do you have any recommendations on not that there's a quick fix, but do you have any recommendations on what steps a man can take to try to figure out deeply and get in there? Who am I and what do I stand for? And what does my role in this world mean?
1: Yeah, I think we need to do a quick, just a, an, an analysis. Every man, you need to stop in your tracks. You ask yourself real quick first, who has the most influence and impact on your life? Other men. I'm talking Ooh, about men. Boom,
0: that's a big one.
1: Okay, who yeah. is influencing you? And, and, and then, and you know what, Busy, everything, all these things are connected. Do you know that they've stopped teaching the art of writing in schools, only typing now?
0: And, and it's yes, detrimental except, because. Except in Montessori school where my kids Sure, are.
1: sure. But something happens when you journal. I never did. When you physically write your thoughts with your handwriting and then you step back and you look at it and then you get into self-talk. We need to change self-talk in this country. You look at, I want men to go write down the names of the men that are influencing, impacting your life. You may say it's LeBron James. I don't know. Right ever, right? But go be real with yourself and then write down what you've learned from them and ask yourself, do I actually agree with that? Is that actually me? For the most part, they're gonna they're gonna come to the realization that no, I'm fo- I'm I'm part of the herd mentality, I'm following the crowd. I'm trying to fit in. I'm trying to get affirmation. I want to be liked. I want to be accepted. If you make any decision in your life, any, out of fear or because you want to be accepted, it's the wrong decision. 100%. It's not you. You're going to conform. That's step number one, right? Right.
0: That's an amazing step. And just for those that are listening, a lot of people, you can't see the chat box, but a lot of guys on this are writing and saying like, wow, this is really hitting home. Remember that, unfortunately, the way our society functions today, the majority of the people that are going to get these high following Instagram accounts and position themselves as motivational speakers, when the algorithm prioritizes them, you've got to really step back and take a look at why they're being prioritized. Because I know that we've talked about this in a much more existential fashion The AI agenda and the algorithm, they're not promoting people for the most part and really elevating them that are trying to get you to think deeply about who you are as a spiritual person and how you fit into the moral fabric of the country. So, chances are, if you're following a bunch of people that BuzzFeed told you to follow or that Men's Health told you to follow, you're probably going to have to also ask yourself a deeper question Do I agree with them? And if I do perhaps agree with them and I take a step back and I observe, is that agreement in the best interest of my humanity? Is that agreement in the best interest of my parenting? Because you might've been convinced to agree without stepping back and taking the observational perspective, which I absolutely love what you shared about actually writing it down. So you're able to actually bear witness to your own thought process. It's so important. This yeah, is look, so something important. Happened. Keep
1: going. When you, and when you read your own writing out loud, look, and I'm gonna, look, I'm just gonna be me on your show. And by the way, you just, this just became my favorite podcast in the world. OK, they're amazing. I, I can't. I'm telling you, you're doing you, your last name's not gold for a reason. You're sharing gold with your audience. I wish okay. I could see the comments. But he, here's the deal. Uh, w- when you actually write down your thoughts and then you read them back to yourself out loud and you hear yourself. It's, it's revelatory because you hear it's, it's almost like if you play back an argument with your spouse and you go write it down and then you read it. Smacks you in the face, man. You go, dang it. I was responsible. And then you come to your realization, the things I thought I believe, I actually don't believe. These people I follow, I actually should not follow them. And you're making a good point. They're not going to push and promote somebody that goes against their agenda. For me, being real on your show, God is everything in my life. So here's a fact. We project the image of our earthly father onto God. We do that. It takes a lot of work and a lot of of, of self-discovery uh, to not do that. So if your father abandoned you, if your father lied to you, if your father said, I'll show up and I didn't at the game, if your father made promises and it's unkept because children don't forget a thing, right? Now God right. becomes that. God becomes that. God's not going to be there for me. You know, he, and this is the problem. I would go as far as saying this, our number one role as fathers, we got two things, our jobs, two things. For me, it's accurately represent God, because in the deepest time of need, when the whole world abandons you, God will not. And unless you believe that, it's your father's job to do that. Secondly, for fathers, it's our job to make sure that our children's floor is our ceiling. They need to start at our ceiling. Our children's floor needs to be our ceiling. And how do you do that? Not just money. It's the lessons learned in life. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're moving in the wrong direction. My faith says we go from glory to glory. We don't in this country. We go glory 10 steps back. And so so fathers have an incredible responsibility. And you cannot be a good father without honoring women, without honoring your wife without honoring your mother, without understanding how vital women are in society. It's impossible. It's impossible. I joke and I say this, you know, God looked at Adam and he goes, dude, you're not going to make it. I'm going to bring you a helpmate. You're not going to make it on your own. And so it's so important that we take ownership over our positions, whether you're a father that, left that never married your father the child and you haven't spoken to that child in 10 years then after busy's podcast you pick up the phone you call that mom who probably doesn't want to see you, and you say listen i've messed up i've screwed up i don't even know what i've done i'm going on a discovery path here i want to come and help that child's floor to be my ceiling i want to help that child do things that i could never do understand himself when he's 10 years old and i only discovered it when I was 30, et cetera, et cetera.
0: So one of the things that I think is likely blocking a lot of men from being able to do this and fully, not just, I feel like the term assume responsibility is very telling. A lot of people, it's kind of like this responsibility was placed on me, not like I'm actually taking on this responsibility with intention, which is, I think for a lot of men, they just assume the responsibility of a father rather than truly declare and demand that I'm going to step into this, not only willingly, but with my whole heart. So many of these men, and I've watched it with so many of my clientele and break method, their little kid version is still so pissed off about what they didn't get from their father that their childhood perceptions of reality are actually blocking them from taking this step into the responsibility. Do you have any recommendations for? Because I think if we look at things like AA or NA, right, there's always a process by which it's like, make amends with this person. Aside from just the random reach out and make amends what would you recommend somebody could do if they're trying to just quickly reconcile that little kid version of themselves so that they can essentially step forward into the adult version of themselves
1: yeah oh man you i love what you're doing here so so let's let's give this guy a name um let's just say it's tom right and if there's a tom listening tom i'm not profiling you but but thank you that we can use your name as an example I want to tell Tom, who's 35 years old, to understand that most men, the majority, by far, the majority of men, their real inner being got left at 13. They're still 13. They're 35-year-old walking grown men with a 13-year-old's emotional and spiritual maturity because of wounds, because you get stuck we see that in, in sex traffic victims all the time. 25-year-old woman speaking in the voice of a 12-year-old. You know, Emotionally, I want Tom to go back and go talk to Tommy. Literally. Go alone and go process verbally, out loud. Out loud. Sit in a place where you can be alone in your car or wherever and go talk to yourself when you were 13 years old and have the 13-year-old talk back to you. Have the 13-year-old tell you and, and out loud say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pissed off. I hate this. I hate that. My dad left me. You know, I, I hate to w-. say it. Let that, the real deep stuff, the stuff that's buried, layer upon layer upon layer, let it come out. Say it. Then reconcile with it. Learn this. It's okay. It's life. Everybody goes through stuff. It doesn't disqualify you, right? You can turn this around. You're 100% able to be a great father. I don't care if you've abandoned 50 children and married 20 times. You can turn it today. It's possible. Don't take the bait and let the world lie to you and say you're disqualified from being a good father. No way. But we have to go heal Back there in those formative years for boys right here, 13 in that area, most men right there have made a decision. Subconsciously, they don't even know that they did. These men that are listening today, these times, they're going to discover themselves. It's going to be, it's painful and it should be. But it's also incredibly rewarding because you actually start moving forward. You start recognizing that, hey, the dreams I had, I abandoned them. I walked away from them because I was mad. Or I don't really receive love. This woman I've been married to for 10 years, I've never really been fair to her because I'm so callous and cold to her. I do have a relationship with my daughter or my son because I'm still a 13-year-old. And I'm not telling men, hey, grow up, be mature. That's not what I'm saying. I'm mm-hmm. actually talking about real solutions. Talking about their stuff you've never faced that they need to go face.
0: One of the things that you brought up I think is an important way that men can potentially frame this when they look into it. I think that men approach the act of giving and receiving love almost as if it's in its own bubble and it's not how they interact with anything else when the fact of the matter is how they're reconciling their hurts from either feeling abandoned, ignored, or unloved is exactly what's influencing how they go after a job goal. It's exactly how they prioritize a new pair of golf clubs that they want. How they do that is how they do everything else. So if they're unwilling to look just at that intimate relationship give and take, have them potentially go look at how they're going after a career goal that they really want because they probably have that same pattern manifesting in either the sabotage pattern or the destruction pattern right when they actually get there and I find that that's something that can help men because they sometimes are resistant to looking here but they can look at these other things which then helps them reconfirm that this is in fact the core wound that needs to be addressed and for a lot of men it's no question those are the
1: fingerprints right those are the the residue and they're going to see it all over their lives they're going to see it in every relationship or or any be a very easy way, very easy way to identify maybe where to go look. If I say go look in your past, well, what what cupboard do I go into? Where do I go? Is re- repeat behavior. When you repeat behavior in your life where you go, I don't know, man. I've had three business partners and all three of these business partners kind of did me, did me wrong or whatever, or I, I take offense, beat up no, but you gotta be honest with yourself that you can't. You you can't justify the, the this is not about justifying your life. This is about saying okay, I want to find out where I am responsible for holding myself back, right? For for where I where I where I've not enabled myself to be the best version of me. And when you do that, and then you honestly look at yourself, you can do this yourself. As you said, and you go, say for instance, okay, let's say golf is super important to a guy right i I love golf but if it's really really important ask yourself why what is it about golf that's so important you go dig a little bit it may be something like i just want to get away from people i want to get away from home why is it important to get away from home well um, my kids and my wife remind me of my responsibilities well why do you have an issue with responsibilities why is it hard for you to face responsibility and you start following that trail it's like breadcrumbs, and it leads you to a place where you start now seeing it in your whole life because it will manifest everywhere it will you'll you'll see it you'll find it so you make a very very good point look at what what's in your life today but to heal it to heal it you've got to go back to the root where it started
0: thank you for that and that's it's a hundred percent of what I'm focused on with the work that I do in Break Method is actually repatterning early childhood belief systems that create yeah. essentially a, a false reality in our present. So there are definitely so many nuggets in there that are so critical. One of the things that keeps coming up is no matter what, let's say simultaneously we've got this guy that's listening to you and he's like. I'm a Tom and I need to go figure out who I am and beat my chest out in the wilderness and you know, deal with my childhood yeah. wounds. Then he comes back. One of the things that I find to be problematic is that as much as we have women on here that are like, yes, divine masculine, woo. How are you going to handle when he actually comes to you to tell you the truth? Because so many women actually cause more destruction and repeat the early childhood wound when the man tries to come to you and be honest and potentially own up or tell you things that might make your childhood version hurt. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I have a problem with porn, right? As a women, we need to be able to hold that space for them. And instead of lashing out and further reconfirming their childhood wound, we have to be so steadfast and, and convicted in getting them through to the other side that we're able to actually have an honest conversation without pushing them back into their hole. I, I see this happens Busy. all the time.
1: Busy. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Do you know what you're doing at the moment? I mean, let's open this can of worms. Let me tell you this. Open women, it. Go
0: for it. This women is, these are the conversations no, that have to happen.
1: Women have no idea, respectfully. I respect women. For me, you, you, there's nothing a woman can't do, okay? Women have no idea the impact they have on men. No idea. They have no clue how intimidated men are around them. Women, you, if you... If you only knew, right now, some find out and they take their fire, uh, their father wound, and then they abuse the power. Okay, yeah. and I'll say that too. And they become vixens and they become man eaters and you now. But it is so difficult for a guy to get to that place of vulnerability that if he does, if Tom comes to you and he opens up. You've got to dig so deep as a woman and get into your divine purpose. Remember, I said before, God made women to be the best helpmate. What does that mean? Not just, oh, help him, serve him. No, it means this when he comes broken, battered, bruised, and he dares to be honest with you, you got to stay. You can't run. You can't go anywhere, or that guy will lose him forever. Because it's so hard to get there. So I want to encourage these women that you need to go invest in yourself to be ready for that moment. That when your guy comes, whether it's your husband or your son or your brother, your father, you know, you've got to stay. You cannot at that point in time use that moment and weaponize it to go after making a point. He's realized he's he's coming. And I want to encourage the men that if you do go to your women. Nothing will reward you more than a woman of humility, wisdom, who is a good listener, who can really let you process and then is, is thoughtful and contemplative about your response as a woman. Because you've got incredible intuition, women. You've got a way to look at a situation that men can never do. Never. You are able to, as a woman, to connect every single occurrence in your life to every other occurrence. We can't do that. We compartmentalize, right? This is why you can pull four years ago into any conversation and it drives your husband nuts. It's a gift you have to make sense for the guy, not to hit him with a stick with it, right? And so what your point you're making is that it's so important, but also know you're intimidating. You're, I don't care if the guy thinks he's Fabio and he's, the, and he's the college quarterback. He's intimidated by women. The more bravado he shows, the more intimidated he is. He's masking, okay? We are intimidated by strong women because, because a really confident, self-secure, for the most part, whole and healthy woman is, is such a weapon against evil. It's such a weapon against bad. You, it's, it's a fortress for crying out loud. You can't. And so when a guy's dealing with porn and he knows this girl, if I show her just a bit, she's going to see right through me. I, all men know we can't reason with you, women. We can't. We can't keep up. We physically can't because we just can't process the way you process. Right. So we don't engage in these deep conversations with you because we're afraid that you see through. Right. And so when a guy actually comes and he's willing to say, see all you want to see, you've got to celebrate that moment as a woman. You've got to now know that you've got a man standing in front of you that's willing to go be a champion. You've got a man standing in front of you that's in the process of becoming a watchman. You can't, this is a guy signing up for the Marine Corps. You don't run him off, you say, welcome. And he's going to bring you a bag of tricks. He's going to bring you a lot of stuff. And you're going to have to go bite down and and deal with some of it. It may mean that your husband is telling you, hey, I've dealt with porn and you don't know for the last 10 years. If he's willing to come, I'm asking you to stand. Now, he's got to change. Right? Absolutely.
0: And that's one of the things where if you actually... So I feel like there are two ways this can go down. Either the man does the work and comes to you, or you actually as the woman or partner, we've got a lot of female, female partners that follow us as well. Typically, I think we all know this, that even in female, female, male, male partnerships, there typically tends to be a masculine, feminine, energetic component to it, polarity, right? So however you identify those roles for you as well, this is all still very relevant. The woman still needs to be able to seek out that space for a man because that man might, even if he's doing the work, he might not be able to say, well, she's not going to trust me, though, if we're talking about porn. So go out of your way to stand in your power and say, hey, I know that you probably have it made up in your head that if you tell me the truth about this, I'm going to react. I'm going to get triggered. I'm going to make it about myself. But I'm here to tell you that this is an open space. And if you're ready to talk about this, I'm ready to talk about it. Sometimes that guy will jump on the opportunity because he'll see that you're so calm and relaxed and wanting to hold that space that that can be that point of entry. So it's not just also for the women that are on here. If you are wanting this sort of kind of divine polarity in your relationship and you're wanting to protect your kids and give yourself that rock solid family foundation, you also need to not just wait around. No one one has the, the ability at this point, especially at this what I would call point of like incredible spiritual warfare. No one has yeah. a past to just sit back and be passive. You
1: know what I teach my kids? So my, my son is 10 months old. So he's not, although I tell him this, I do, but my daughters will, they will tell you this. Oh, my dad says the following, the big stuff will never scare me. Tell me everything, everything. Mm-hmm. And, and when you lead with that, you do what the smart kid does. The smart kid goes to his parents and just blurts it out. And he goes, hey, you know what? I did this and gets it and understands that normally the parents don't overreact. It's when you hide it, it's when they got to pull it out of you. So I encourage the partner or the wife, right? In in same-sex relationships, the partner or the wife to initiate. And in yeah. calm, pick your moment now. Be smart. Don't pick your guy when he's tired or you understand his trends. When's his energy levels the highest? When's he calm? Don't do it on a Wednesday night when he just walks in the door, be smart about this. Come on, right? Or when she walks in the door, pick your moment and then sit down and say, listen, I'm just processing about something, nothing. I just want you to know, and then you just let it rip. If you needed to talk about something like this, I'm going to be able to keep it together in a conversation. I'm not going to judge you. I want to hear because I want to invest in you. And
0: you can't solve a problem that you don't know exists. And I think so many people in relationships, because of their own ego, try to avoid or skirt ever having to bump up against these problems where they just go into denial, like this isn't a problem in my relationship, when really avoiding actually addressing and getting all the information is making it so this problem just gets to fester and grow and it's going to creep up on you one way or another.
1: This is why most men have affairs. I know most men will have an affair because they feel like I can't talk about sex to my wife. Right. And we're not talking about crazy, stupid stuff, just feelings, because sometimes things a guy feels when he's processing what he, his wife, he realizes, you know what? I actually don't want that,
0: mm-hmm. it,
1: but it's, it's just bring the walls down. And so I'm encouraging women, think of the top five things in your life that you consider the most difficult things to talk about and go tackle them. Yes. Go Hunt them down. Don't wait for them to hijack you and come to you one day and ca- catch you off guard. You initiate and go sit with your guy and say, hey, listen, Tom, I know this is not come up, but I just want you to know I'm processing. If there's anything you want to talk about, whether it's sex or money, money, big issue, huge, right?
0: Yeah, money, I- security, bill paying. Yeah.
1: I want you to know that I am interested and I'm willing to listen and And civilly work through this with you. I want to create a safe space where you can feel comfortable enough. And he may say, I don't have anything. Okay. You planted the seed. Whether he has it something or not, it's going to sit with him. It's going to sit with him. And you do it again. And then one day when he gets the courage, he's going to come.
0: So let's take one deviation because I think this is another critical point as well on this topic of of normalizing or shifting social mores on a specific area clearly i think it is a pretty common male belief and just belief in general i think male female etc for our generation oh porn's just normal porn's just like a part of life porn doesn't ruin my relationship porn doesn't change my ability to connect with my partner so let's if you're okay with this dig into what actually is going on when somebody allows themselves to kind of push this aside and be like, oh, whatever, porn's not that big of a deal. Everyone watches porn. What does this actually do? What does this lay the groundwork for? And as we continue to let our society keep digging into this sort of switched belief, what, what happens after that? What are the bigger structures that our kind of flippant viewpoint toward porn ends up getting us into?
1: Yeah, and we need to understand what porn was the, is designed to do. And, and for those that say, well, we came up with porn as all this time, porn is designed, in its design, right, In the, in the fight of good and evil, porn in its design is designed to corrupt because it's sexual immorality and it's a sexual immoral act against yourself. When you commit a crime against yourself, it's the ultimate crime. That's why suicide is so detrimental, why why the remnant of suicide is devastating, even more than divorce. So porn is designed to rip apart. It, It can't build. There's nothing about it that's edifying or building, and it's all fake. All of it is fake, right? The high is fake. So think about it this way.
0: Even the the act itself is fake, too, which I think is part of this because then the the brain gets addicted to this experience that's not even an authentic orgasmic experience, too. So then you're seeking out something that's not even real in a real partnership.
1: Thank you that we can be real here. I'll give you an example. Yeah, go for it. So so nobody starts with heroin. You start with an opioid or smoking weed, right? Okay, so let's say you start with an opioid. The average high on an opioid can last for about three hours, right? The interval, the frequency of opioid use in the beginning could be weeks apart. All right? The average male orgasm is 13 seconds. So now you got a a drug that lasts you three hours, a drug that lasts you 13 seconds. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: The opioid drug does not alter your brain chemistry permanently. It does not create new neuropaths like alcohol. Porn actually rewires the brain it actually shuts down areas of the brain where the neurons do not fire it creates new neuropaths and what it does from day one is it starts to put flaps on your eyes to where a guy or a girl gets tunnel vision right and so they hyper accelerate the process of addiction all the way to where a heroin addict would be to where they wake up in the morning for one purpose only scrap money together to get the new hit that's mm-hmm. it their whole existence starts forming around how do i get the fix very different but that happens with porn where an opioid user is just an opioid so it the progression is so fast or the digression is so fast through porn now
2: mm-hmm.
1: it changes the neuropaths porn is designed 100 percent to rob women's identity so it changes how a man sees a woman. It changes how he sees his purpose. It absolutely bastardizes what sex is supposed to be, right? And mm-hmm. now he starts pursuing this high that is so fleeting, it's so fast, and it doesn't last. So it's, it's like, okay, 13 seconds, orgasm, and now what? Literally a minute later, it's, it, it's not satisfying. Now he's not satisfied. So now he progresses very quickly from soft porn... All the way through seriously hard porn. There's not a single child molester, pedophile that's not a porn addict. There's not one. There's never been one. It is the entry drug and it rewires the brain to the point where when we do math uh, tests on porn addicts, right? Mm -hmm. And we'll say, when did you start porn? And they'll say five years ago, right? And you look at some of their math performances and you start tracking them, right? It digresses. Incredible. the brain stops functioning it's almost like you're telling that organ of the brain you're here for one purpose one purpose only satisfy the need for orgasm satisfy that sexual need but it rips apart all the other belief systems of what women are what's their place in society who are they supposed to be what's my role in society what is being a man and then on top of it what they see they try to recreate. So now you got a guy yes. who, through coercion and manipulation, convinces his wife to watch porn with him, okay? women, hear me today. You're being played. You're being played. He's using flattery and words to satisfy himself. It's not about you. You're a tool. You're a pawn at this stage. So he wants to recreate what he sees. Can never recreate it. I'm a film director. You know that. Busy. Yes. I direct films. Okay. What they don't know is the scene he's watching is take 37. The yes. girl is high. She's been indoctrinated. She's been threatened. Nothing is real. It's all artificial. You know, you can't recreate that experience. Now they put that on a wife or a significant other or a sexual partner and it falls flat. Doesn't satisfy. Now you got so now you gotta get more intense. Now you shift gears, you go deeper. It's a black hole that will never satisfy. It can't.
0: So one of the things that I found interesting, and I teach a lecture on it in my course series called Food and Sex, because typically the way people have out-of-balance symptom patterns as it relates to food is usually pretty similar, in fact, with how they approach sex. The core beliefs that we're talking about that would potentially make it so that a man is not stepping fully into his responsibility as as a father or as a husband, these same core wounds actually get played out in the porn that you're attracted to. So I find a lot of people in break method eventually chat me in and they're like, I've never admitted this before, but I really like to watch porn where you know the woman's getting tortured, right? And this is coming from a woman. Because I think more often than we know, women are actually also addicted to porn. I find yep. this a lot in my practice the core beliefs that we're talking about here, the I'm always going to be abandoned, I'm always going to be rejected, life is chaos, those are kind of the terms that we use in break method. Your brain seeks out a very heightened, uh, explosive version of this sort of core belief between a man and a woman in a sexual relationship or a woman and woman, however you look at it. So in fact, in our desire to kind of seek out this completely escalating endorphin rush that we're looking for, we're actually also further reinforcing our faulty core belief, which is causing a ripple effect in all other areas of our lives. And I think so many people compartmentalize it. They're like, oh, well, so what? I have kind of like weird porn habits. No, your weird porn habits are actually still the same core belief that's creating all other types of destruction and self-sabotage in your life. So it's not okay for us to just kind of compartmentalize that as like, oh, well, I just happen to have this weird thing. That's that mirror where you have to look at yourself and be like, okay, not that you're judging yourself and beating yourself up, but why do I have, why do I see this odd thing staring back at me at the mirror? Like, why do I like to watch porn like this? What is it, what is it making me feel? And why do I want to feel that way? Because I think when most people start to actually ask themselves those questions, and even as you mentioned, writing it out so that you can see it, this is potentially going to be that opportunity to look at and be like, I don't want to be this person. I don't know whatever this thing is that I just wrote. Like that's not me. Porn is a reflection. It is. Porn porn is
1: a reflection. It's a mirror. You said mirror, spot on. It is a mirror. It actually, when you step back, it's just looking back at you and showing the areas that actually needs attention, areas that needs healing. You got to ask yourself why, you know, you're talking about, but, but we see this in the battered woman syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Girls who who keep going back, you know, and then defend the 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 you know girls, uh, traffic victims, defend the pimp, right? And so porn does that. And, but but in our game, in this fight of fighting sex trafficking, porn is a is a very powerful weapon. It's a powerful tool to corrupt, incriminate, uh, coerce, you know, of, of obviously also train. These children uh, and what's expected from them to live out these these fantasies for these guys who who, who should just step back and look in the mirror and go I I don't want to be this person.
0: Yeah. So let's I feel like we've dug really deep into the porn thing which is I think critically important I think it's one of the things that does not get talked about enough. It's because of what we brought up in the beginning where it's uncomfortable where it's taboo and people just, they don't like to even acknowledge that part of themselves. Maybe it's that thing that even though they've got a picture perfect life, they're still hiding that one piece of what they're addicted to. And if you're that person listening today, maybe this is your opportunity to actually address it because as Yako has explained, it doesn't just stay in its little box. You can't just close the box when you're done and then come back to it and not have the contents of what's in the box change your life permanently. So I hope that this was enough to get you to acknowledge it and have the courage to have these conversations with your partners and to also remind yourselves not to get reactive. Because once you open up that door, if you open up the door and then you slap them on the hand, the chances of them coming back are about 0%. And the chances of them resenting you forever more over that are going to be about 100%. So just make sure that if you open up that door, you're ready to receive and nurture. Because that's really, that's That's kind of our role. We're supposed to hold that space and help, yes, help the healing process. So let's say all of these steps have been taken, right? The guy takes your advice. He goes out in the woods. He writes himself a letter. He beats his chest. He figures out who he is. He manages all of his childhood wounds, right? He talks to his wife. He addresses all of the things that he's following or the porn that he's looking at or the Instagram accounts of butts. I don't even know. So many guys, they don't they don't look at that as porn. But I think also important reminder, when you're following Instagram accounts of women that are constantly half naked, it's still porn. Even if you're not going to like watch a hardcore porn it's, video, it's, porn. it's filling up your feed. It's, it's going into your eyes. It's changing your brain. It's making you think about that during the day when you should be thinking about other things. It's still porn, right? Just because it's a still image doesn't mean it's not porn. So hopefully by by that point, you've taken some personal responsibility, which I think is kind of the key here. Now let's shift gears to talk about once hopefully these steps have gone on properly, what do we do about talking to our kids or checking in on our children? How do we open up that communication or check devices or what are the telltale signs so that we can keep our kids safe once we've secured our family unit?
1: Children need security, number one. Uh, we did a test where we went to a kindergarten in a and, on the f- and we tracked children for a month for 30 days to just see how much of the ground do they cover. Like mm-hmm. what toys do they play on? The play sets outside, right? And there wasn't a blade of grass that they didn't cover. They climbed the fences. I mean, they were all over that place. And then one Friday afternoon, we removed the fence. When the kids came back Monday, there was no fence.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They, would, they wouldn't venture into 30% of the yard. They wouldn't go close to the fence line. Ooh.
0: To, so, they had Just to see what the container was
1: to feel comfortable exploring it. Without boundaries, we need boundaries. So, your children, number one, they need boundaries, they need routine. This is hard, parents. This means you actually need to parent. Okay, you can't pacify your children. Stop pacifying your children with technology. Technology is the porthole to the dark side, it's how they're being approached to that. You don't pacify a child with an iPad. And so, a couple things that, that I want to do is you got you got to gauge your child. You have to look at the maturity and the age of your child. But you have to start having conversations with your children. My my three year old, if you ask her what does your dad do, she'll tell you my dad they, my dad rescues girls, and we hunt the bad guys. We go after the bad guys because some bad guys want to hurt people. She's not going to use the word sex trafficking. She's too young, but she mm-hmm. knows today. That there are bad guys that don't want little girls to live out their dreams and have hopes and have their friends and be able to just be little girls, right? She knows that. So you need to start having these conversations. Then when when it's teenagers, you need to start having these conversations, these porn conversations about the consequences of following the crowd, of wanting to fit in. Because most of these children end up in these places because everybody does it. This is what my friends do and it's okay. I always joke and say it's okay to be salmon, swim upstream. <laughs> Teach your yeah. child that it's okay to say no. We are not good as a culture saying no. We just say yes, right? It's okay to say no. Now parents, does that mean you're the hawk that suffocates your child and and they know they need individuality, they need uh, uh, built their own space and personality, but you absolutely have to have them understand that you are a parent. You're not a friend. You're not here to be their friend. You are the parent, which means you set the boundaries, you set the rules, and you have to know where are you going, what are you watching. There's an app called Covenant Eyes. Easy mm-hmm. to find. It's free. Covenant Eyes goes on any device, on the iPad, the phone. And you tell your child, you don't sneak it in, you say, I'm putting an app on here, and it tells me everything you see, it gives me notifications, and when things get pushed to you, I get notified, because you're teaching accountability, you're teaching responsibility, you're teaching your child that, and of course, encourage your child that, hey, if you saw something, if you did something, come talk to me, tell me, I want to help you with it, make them feel safe, just like the husband or the significant other, right, But it is time predominantly most parents today pacify their children. And they pacify their children through technology and you cannot afford, you can't afford it. And then another thing, this is going to be a shocker. This is going to be a tough one. I do not let my kids go to people's houses that I don't know very, very, very well. For the most part, they come here, you know. You, mm-hmm. you just can't afford, and it's not the parent, it's the child. It's what are these children teaching your children? You need to know your children's friends. You need to know their parents because there are, there are systems being taught. And peer-to-peer training is so powerful. When a 13-year-old trains a 13-year-old, it sticks.
2: Mm.
1: It sticks. So you have to really ask your children, Uh, your son's friend's name is Johnny. What do you and Johnny talk about? What what is, is Johnny ever talked about anything that makes you feel uncomfortable? You know, or or, these are the questions you're going to have to ask as a parent because you have to help your child navigate good from bad. The child's not equipped. They're not able. They don't know yet. They're finding out. And if you just abandon that situation, we, we, we walk into trouble. And that's all just busy. It's about engagement. It's about real, deep, heavy conversation. I tell fathers, go take your son to the shed and go talk deep stuff. Teach him now as a 12-year-old that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be real. It's okay to ask for help, right? It's not okay to objectify women in any shape or form. It's not okay. It will never satisfy you. It's not okay to cheapen sex. Never satisfy you. Got to have these conversations, of course, at the right age level. But you mm-hmm. could have you could have the sex conversation and the porn conversation with a three year old without ta- talking sex and porn. You can talk about boundaries, safe space, your privacy. You, can, you you can have these conversations as a parent and reinforce them. And if you start young, by the time that bend that tree when young, they will then kick in and say, Hey, I respect myself. I'm not going to violate my my own body. I'm not going to let somebody violate my space or my thoughts or my personality, et cetera. So it's engagement and it's purposeful conversation.
0: One of the things that you were talking about is essentially the antidote, if you will, for peer pressure, which is to have that child feel comfortable enough and in their identity to be able to say, no, I don't want to do that. The number one way to do this, and I find that sometimes people have a hard, they have a hard time balancing discipline with turning their child into a people pleaser that has no identity. There's got to be a, a, a very clear pathway that you walk here with discipline. Obviously, what Yako's is talking about here is consistency, having very clear container that you set for your kids of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. However... I think some parents skew to this kind of high degree of discipline, or instead of intellectually educating them about what they've done wrong, it's a because I said, though, said so or because that's not how we do it in our family, which unfortunately makes it so that a child doesn't even attempt to assert their individuality and stand up against a parent even if they end up having to take a time out for their assertion. Having the ability as a child to assert your opinion even if you know you're going to get punished for it is a really important stepping stone for a child to actually play around with who they are. And I find that so many parents make the discipline action itself so fear-based that the child then kind of goes inside and then they just learn really subconsciously just do whatever I'm told do whatever I'm told then when that child goes into a situation where they're dealing with peer pressure they just crack because they're used to just cracking we want to be able to walk that line of creating a a clear container of discipline and at a high standard of what's morally acceptable in this family. But also sometimes a child is going to hopefully want to assert a different viewpoint and we can't make the discipline so fear-based that they hold that inside and stop learning how to assert themselves because that is truly what builds identity.
1: Dictators use fear.
0: Dictators
1: are still fear. Okay. You're not a dictator, you're a parent, which means that child, you want that child to have his or her own personality his or her own confidence to speak their mind his or her own confidence to say no when they're not comfortable and yes when they are so that when a profiler online profiles your child and comes your child is going to say no it's going to be have the confidence to say i am love for who i am i may be in the process of growing but I am loved for who I am. And so, that, therefore, you're so right. I encourage people to ask your child, how do you feel? What do you think about this? And the child yeah. may be wrong, and then you can teach,
0: but you cannot say because I say so.
1: You cannot it's the most
0: say detrimental form of parenting or the because our culture says this or because our religion yeah, says ask, this.
1: Just ask yourself what does that teach? It doesn't teach anything. It, it teaches your child go be in a shell and either they're going to rebel and go behind your back and and now sneak things or you're going to stifle their personality. I always say this, you know, in football coaches, I played pro sport, right? And the coaches always said, "Yaku." I'll take passion over talent any day of the week. We just the, the only trick is teach the person who's passionate how to channel the passion. Mm. If your child is fiery and that child's got an opinion, do not tame that Mustang. Don't channel it. Give it safe lanes to run in, but let it run. And that is not anarchy. That's like, okay, are you, you're letting your children voice their opinions? I let my five-year-old voice her opinion. And for an onlooker, it may look like, this child's defiant. No, she knows. She's going to say her say, but I'm, I'm the head of the household. And, and when I make a decision, I explain my decision, not because I need to explain myself to my child, Because I'm training my child. The process of how did dad get to this decision, right? For instance, dad, can we watch one show? Yeah. And at the end of the show, it's like just one more, one more. And I go, okay. And then you sit down and why is it that you want to watch one more show? Why did you agree with me that we're only going to watch one show? I don't know. Let's discover. And you have a conversation. What you're going to end up doing is you're going to train your child that in the moment of, of trouble, they're going to run to you first. Because they're going to know that I can go to my dad or my mom with anything. And it's not going to shock them. They're not going to abandon me. They're going to let me talk. Now, I may be wrong, but they're going to hear me out for a minute. We need that.
0: Absolutely. That is truly what builds rock-solid identity that nobody can coerce. That's right. So... Obviously, we've been, we've been going for about an hour and I know that I want to respect your time as well. One of the things that people ask me the most is what can they personally do either with their time or their finances or with their sweat equity to help move the needle on human trafficking? And I find that unfortunately, there's a lot of a lot of these ngos and charities that claim to be in support of human trafficking from research i've done are actually part of the tentacles of which we're, we're we've been talking about what organizations or what pathways can people take to actually contribute either their time sweat equity or finances to help the cause
1: yeah you're so, you're so right this is so unfortunate right um Evil also knows how to mask itself, and we've had too many, too many. I won't even mention the number. It's just too many organizations where the rescued, the victims who are rescued, are being re-trafficked through an NGO that's supposed to fight sex trafficking. It's it's yes. it's horrifying. So you got to be really, really careful and do your homework. But there are really good NGOs out there. Of course, we have one. Our NGO is called ShareTogether.org. We would gladly connect. Any of your listeners, we've got 65 partners in our country and we work in 56 countries. So we, we most likely could connect any of your listeners to an NGO that's reputable in their local community where they can go volunteer or donate. They're always welcome to volunteer with us and help us financially if they feel so led uh, or watch or watch the film. So yes, I'd like for them to know of an NGO in their community that does good work, but I, but I want to activate and, um, Commission your listeners that they can actually do something in this fight today. You start in the home, you start in your community, and you got to go to your child's school. I know COVID, there's no school now, whatever, but we're going to get back there. You have to go be a mama bear and a a watchman as a father to step into that community and go ask the tough questions. You've got to go to the school principal and ask him, do we teach CSE in the school? If the answer is yes, you got to fight it with everything in your being. Do can we, you
0: break can you break down yeah. what the acronym CSE stands for?
1: CSE is is a is a sex ed curriculum that they dress up so fancy and they put beautiful sugar on it and it feels so good. On the front cover of the curriculum it says it's perfectly normal. That's the tagline, right? Meaning mm-hmm. sex is perfectly normal. True and also very much a lie. The comprehensive sex ed curriculum CSE is porn, a hundred percent. Um, I may hold, uh, you don't see my camera. If you did, I would hold it up. I have the curriculum here.
0: And you know, I can it, put it, some links in the show notes yeah, as well. It it
2: There's
0: literally it. things taught in there that most adults don't have any idea about. That. And they teach them what, what age do they start teaching this curriculum? Kindergarten or the first CS, grade?
1: No, The CSE is for 10 year olds. That 10-year-olds. curriculum is for 10 year olds. So it's very impressionable age. It's by design that it's ten, and you know it's 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 so you can go ask these questions and then fight and combat them. You know, I said earlier, parent. When I mean parent, I don't mean discipline. But parent or, or 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 observe your your friends' children, help the community, parent the community, and actually get involved, get engaged. With us, you can get involved. We've got curriculums, we've got training methods. If there's a parent in Columbus, Ohio, that says, look. I just need something in my hand to go and and organize an event. We'll give it to you. You'll have the tools. We'll, so sharedtogethernow.org is our nonprofit. You can go there and, and reach out to me on, on Instagram, DM me, and we'll get resources in your hand. You can use the film Eight Days as a conversation starter. It's a great tool for teenagers. Have them watch the movie. Just turn it on. Sit here, Johnny. Watch this. And they're going to come back and have 50 questions and say, um, I've seen this. I haven't. It's happened to me. Now, also as a parent, be, be careful. Your son or daughter may come to you and say, "I've been chatting with this guy online. I did send nudes of myself. I did sext. I was told it was normal to find out the guy's 40 years old, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. May rock your universe." Okay.
2: One because-
0: thing I want to jump in here and just remind everybody, because I listened to your talk on it on your podcast, where you were specifically highlighting magazines like Teen Vogue. For those of you that are not aware, teen-specific magazines have been going out of their way far and, uh, far above and beyond your wildest dreams to actually try to prime children to actually sext, especially during the time of COVID. That was what I had listened to in your podcast. So if you think that my kid doesn't sext or my kid doesn't like doesn't do this, if they read Teen Vogue or they're looking at magazines like that, these magazines are intentionally priming your children. So even if you don't think that and you think your t- child is too innocent, the case is probably that... Not only are they being coerced into it through peer pressure, but it's probably also coming at them through media outlets that you're willingly allowing them to read.
1: 100%. And it's not just encouraged. Uh, it's not just, you know, supported. It's encouraged. They actually will shame them. They'll tell them, you know, ask questions like, why? Why are you not yet comfortable sending nude pictures of yourself? You should be comfortable with your body. And you're talking to a 12-year-old kid. And then this 12-year-old girl goes, well, I want to be comfortable with my body. You should be comfortable with your body. Let's teach you how to light it so it looks good. They literally, Teen Vogue, went into lighting methods, camera angles, right? Encouraging for sexting, how, for sexting, how frequent they should do it. And then they talk, and then they literally tell them, it, in this season of trial, it's going to make you feel good. And, and so it's, it's flat out evil, right? It's, look, it's an attack. And so there's a lot parents can do. Firstly, be educated. I think your audience is very educated. Then get the tools in your hands. And then through a, through a discipleship model, you've got to spread. You've got to go become a mouthpiece and make sure that your community is very well aware that this is not a foreign I- issue. This is not a New York only issue. This is a your zip code issue. It stems from a father wound. It's hurt people hurt people okay and we need to help people heal and 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 whether you want to talk about race relations i can pin all this right down to the same it's the same stuff but sex is so powerful busy as you know it's it's designed to bond two people together in marriage it literally bonds you when when you use sex as a weapon it destroys at levels that most people don't recover from
0: And we've been programmed essentially in every aspect of media to Hollywood to school and beyond that for some reason, if we actually take the time to look at the implications of what this increasingly progressive viewpoint on sex is, we're then put on with the label that like somehow we're puritanical or conservative. When the fact of the matter is, it's important to kind of pull out of any of these labels that the mainstream media narrative wants to put on you and instead just pull back and look at it from an input-output if I allow this input to go into my child, what is the output? And I always tell people, if you're questioning whether it's the right choice for humanity, instead of just looking at input output for your child, what if every single child in your imagination had the same input output, what type of world would we be looking at right now? And I think it helps us arrive very quickly at the question that even though we've been programmed to believe if we stand up against certain things like this, or we question why there's such a progressive and escalatingly progressive, viewpoint toward sex work pedophilia normalizing human trafficking what is the end goal of that and does that really mean that we're puritanical because that's just what they've made us believe it just means that we're being humanitarian and we're looking out for the the moral compass of our collective
1: busy i know we've gone long may i may i do something real quick can you give me just a this fraction yeah. of time to do something. I but want listen,
0: to show. I'm, I'm not cutting you off. The only thing I have. I want is to show a,
1: people. I know. I'm going to show people something. I want to show something. I want to show power because we have we have lost the art of understanding where the real value lies in life. What's really valuable. So let's talk about sex for a second, okay? And I want to and I ask men this, and they they're shocked when I do this. I say, okay, so so sex, how good is it? I'll ask a guy, how good is it? How good is sex to you? Because it's so important. Is it really that good? Can it ever be? In your wildest dreams, can it really be that good? Let me give you an example. Here's where real value lies. I can see you busy. You can't see me, okay? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Let me tell you something. You're an amazing woman. Thank you. You're You're a mother to people that you don't know. The impact... That you have on humanity, you can't measure. People walk around every day and their lives are falling apart and you've planted seeds in their lives. You're going to prosper. God's going to bless you. You're going to see fruit from, from, from vineyards you didn't plant because you're sowing into people. You are both physically a beautiful woman, but your character and your heart so far surpasses what we see that we need to invest time into you busy to discover who you are so that we can mine you to really get the best of what God's put in you. So we'll benefit and you'll benefit from it. All right. That was a minute and 30 seconds of edifying you. And it's sincere. I mean, every single word, what I just said, no orgasm will ever do that for you. will ever have a lasting effect. Like that. Right? And when we start doing that, and that was sincere. I've been praying this whole podcast, by the way, about what to say to you. Okay? So that was sincere. That wasn't just a gimmick. I want you to hear, I want you to take those words and go listen to it again later. Because I mean it to you, and I don't care if people listen to us or not. That what happens when we do that five times a day to our children? You, you, you edify their strengths. Yes, we show weakness, but you just speak destiny into their lives. You speak it over your husband. You, when the guy is a jerk, you say, I see a great guy in you. You highlight the good things. It's painful for you. No orgasm will ever be, be, be equal to that ever. Sex is not that good. People go, y'all. you just haven't had good sex. No, no, I'll argue. No, it can't live up to it because, because these are the things that last. And when we train our children, especially our young daughters, don't give it away for a temporary feeling that doesn't last, right? Rather, go be with those who are willing to invest in your life, those friends who, when you do well, they celebrate you the girls that don't feel like girl on girl crime is necessary because the sun is shining on you and they need to pull you down. So they go hang around and stick around with men that, that challenges you to be a, be a husband that's present, a father that's present, you know, look at what the words you say and encourage one another to say, Hey, let's speak life. Whatever we do, let's speak life. Even if we tackle a heavy issue, like, like race relations, speak life. So It works it works. And thanks for allowing me to do that. I wanted to. Of course.
0: Thank you. And I, it's I great. receive it. I receive it fully. I appreciate that. And it's something that I try to do for my kids all the time and constantly highlight. If I see them doing something, cause they're not necessarily when they're just little kids emoting and responding to their environment, they're not really thinking about what personality trait or what part of their heart or spirit is leading them to do that. So I, I, take the time to highlight what aspect I see from my adult perspective of their spirit that's actually guiding them to do that so they can understand, oh, maybe that is why I did that. Maybe that is my motivation. And I feel like a lot of the people here have gotten to meet my kids or see my kids. I will put my kids up against anyone else's for being truly emotionally intelligent, respectful, kind, sweet, and still playful kids. I'm I'm tough. I create a container, but I also let them engage in critical discourse with me. And I think it, everything that you've described, it's what creates truly amazing grounded kids that know who they are and know that they are spirit filled, which I think is obviously at the end of the day, one of the most important things. Yeah. So yeah. I'm grateful for you sharing all of those things. I I can already see again, and I'll, I'll give you a printout of all the comments. I don't think I've ever had so much interaction, but I'm trying to manage on the right hand side. People are not only loving this podcast but i think people are inspired to a deeper level than they've ever been inspired before and i think i can see a lot of men on here and also women that are very inspired to go roll up their sleeves and dig into this because not that many people unfortunately are talking about this people they highlight the issues and the friction in the public eye but not that many people are really talking about solutions for how to address this in your in your personal life so i'm sure. so grateful for everything that you shared And I will put links to all of your organization and different ways that people can participate, help. I know that I'm dying to help as much as I possibly can, even just, and I'm going to pass the mic over to Kira real quick, um, who is my contact that I worked with in the prison system. There were so many women in the, the audience at my break course that had been victims of human trafficking. And the stories of these women and their inability cognitively to understand what got them into that position until after my course, watching the before and after, which was my goal. It was one of the most amazing experiences to watch because so many women that get themselves into that, as you mentioned, even when they're eventually apprehended or rescued, they don't identify as a victim. They're still part of that mindset that got them in there. And my goal was to actually teach all these women how their childhood core belief pattern has essentially just changed their perception of reality and skewed it to a place where they think these power dynamics are the only way for them to live their lives. And I'll leave it to Kira to discuss, but the results that we saw out of that two day workshop were mind blowing. Um, Do you mind if I just give like three people a time to answer, answer questions?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Okay. If I didn't, everyone on here knows that, um, I mean, I haven't been able to announce it publicly, but um, I'm pregnant and I have my ultrasound. We've had kind of like a high-risk pregnancy and my ultrasound at 2.30 today is where we get the all clear to announce it publicly. So hopefully I'll be able to announce this publicly. I'll be praying like crazy. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, Kira, do you want me to unmute you? Can you just shoot me a yes if you're cool with me unmuting you? I can't wait to introduce you guys. Yes, okay, I'm gonna unmute Kira. Um, Kira is the director of human trafficking for the state of Vermont. Kira, I passed you the mic. I'll let you know when it turns green. Not green yet. You might need to hit the mic accept button. Whoops, pass again. Okay, for some reason, okay, I'm gonna mute. Let me try unmuting you. Let's try that. Kira, are you there? There you go. It's green. We can hear you.
2: Sorry. I accidentally heard. No, (laughs) I don't want to be unmuted. Oh, Yako. Damn it, Kara. You were so amazing. Thank you so much for your wisdom. I uh, was texting Busy, like, how do I come work for him? This is uh, fantastic. So thank you.
1: Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for being a woman that stands on the wall and, and watches over the kids and just everything you do we can't no thank you will be sufficient so just know it's it's really sincere
0: Kira how many years did you work in the prison with victims of sex trafficking it was a long Uh, time right
2: yeah 10 years 10 years yeah a cool 10 years in the
0: prison (laughs) yes
2: 10 years and I'm missing it I'm missing it it's very different to be in a director role uh, and not in direct service it's very different but yes
1: yeah, I okay. can I can tell that you've got that heart. You you've got that heart to pour into them and in a director role that's hard. There's a lot of administration and oversight, which is so important as well. But I can imagine that you you miss you miss looking in those eyes and and seeing change.
2: Yeah. I'm still sneaking it in here and there.
1: <laughs> of course.
2: <laughs> I would I would expect so, that. One of the questions that I think would be helpful for all of us, you mentioned the uh, CSE, which is a huge concern. And in Vermont, we have gotten rid of that curriculum. However, if people want to take action within their communities around that particular curriculum... Uh, they'll come against uh, the child and welfare organizations. So how can you do you have advice for people who want to advocate for change in their school systems when they might also come against uh, child and family division or child welfare? Here in Vermont, it's called DCF Department of Children and Families. Do you have advice for people who want to move forward in that advocacy against that programming?
1: Yeah and you're right they'll they'll bump up against those groups and those groups are that they come with vengeance I'm telling you they they're very well uh, equipped and they come with vengeance Child Protection League is a good organization CPL Child Protection League to help folks understand the vernacular the methods to approach but I'll I'll I want to distill it down again to something very practical on average it takes you know about 3 board seats on a uh, um, at, at any school's uh, PTA right parent teacher association to to really move the needle the problem is our parents who, who are aware of these things they don't show up so I would 100% agree and encourage that parents engage in the in the systems in their in their personal child's school and take it school by school if you if you Move the needle in the school, the superintendent from that ISD, or if you have access to the ISD, that's better. But I would start at the school level and make sure that you get parents on the school board proactively that's going to defend uh, um, morality, 100%. And it's not just sex or the CSE curriculum. It's everything else. It's all the hard work you're doing at home. You can understand your child spends more time in that classroom than you spend with that child. For the most part, particularly if it's public school And so get involved And this may mean, again, that's another thing On my fork, yes it is If you care for your child You want people on that board Because for the most part, in all 50 states What we find, Kira, is um, Those with a a very uh, Progressively Anti-moral agenda Are normally the ones on the school boards and making these decisions and that's how it gets voted in
2: yes great thank you and so moving on asking a question around labor trafficking and child labor trafficking Um, this morning I was on a call and I actually posed this to busy and oftentimes we talk about sex trafficking of children and human trafficking, and we sort of move away from the actual conversation about labor trafficking. And this morning when I was on a conversation with Homeland Security Investigator here in Vermont, there um, has been a concern from the Department of Justice that the child trafficking has actually increased during COVID as well. So not just our sex trafficking, but also that labor trafficking. Do you have any insight to that? Or do you also lump you know, child sex trafficking within that uh, labor trafficking?
1: No, I I think it's very important to make them all stand on their own. That's why I don't like the term human trafficking by itself. It's too broad. We need to address all these things individually. Child sex trafficking is literally... You know the sexual exploitation of children. Then we need to get into sex trafficking 18 and over because the law differentiates between 17 and 18. Then we need to get into labor trafficking. Very, very much should should be addressed on its own. Should not lump it in. And 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 even within labor trafficking, you again you need to go to adults and children. And yes, I we saw a massive spike in both child sex trafficking, but also child labor trafficking. Through COVID, uh, but my opinion, Kara, uh, is that you need to deal with them individually, and, and they have, and because there are elements, nuances that, that's very different. How you attack them, right, and and how you combat them, and then of course the law. You know, there's different yes. sets of 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 uh, um, law criteria, that applies. Yeah. Yeah, and criteria, absolutely.
0: And it seems like the. The mental state or vulnerability of a child that gets pulled into labor trafficking versus sex trafficking would be quite different. It doesn't do they seem to have the same sort of comorbidity factors. If you're asking me, I'm
2: gonna go I'm gonna go with it that because I don't see enough of it, that I don't have enough knowledge to say what that looks like. When we're talking about it here in Vermont, we're talking about uh, new Americans or immigrants. Mm -hmm. And so they don't have as many resources. So children don't have as many resources or know that what's happening to them is against the law Mm -hmm. here in the United States.
1: Got it. Yeah, I'll say because, you know, because I live in Texas, we see it a lot. And, and unfortunately, a lot in the Hispanic community, um, also, uh, also a lot in the, in the community of, of those who have not yet, you know, gone through the legal process of being in the United States. As a, as a legal immigrant, I understand that process very, very well. Uh, and so we see that. And to your question, there are methods that are very similar in, 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 in the coercion phase. The elements in sex trafficking that are not present in the labor trafficking is all the obvious, right? It's it's the it's the physical, it's it's the it's the sexual abuse and the cognitive trauma that comes mm-hmm. with sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. But labor trafficking, a lot of it is debt trafficking. Yes. A yeah. lot of the yes. labor trafficking is you're destitute, you're not supposed to be in this country, you don't have a social security number. We're gonna front you cash. But now I it's 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 slave trade. Now right. I own you.
0: Yep. The dialogue. You're gonna work this, yeah. this
1: debt bondage. Yeah. You know, and so you see debt bondage in sex trafficking, but it's very prevalent in it's specifically in child labor trafficking. And unfortunately, what we've seen, Kira, a lot in Texas is a massive spike in child labor trafficking with the parents trafficking the child.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Here as well. Yes. I just wanted to point out another thing that you said that is really brilliant and something that is happening currently here in Vermont, um, is that, that, and I'm definitely going to misquote you here, but the desensitizing people to bad things, and you use that example of prostitution to sex worker, and that is an active thing that people can look into in their states. They're they are trying to legalize uh, sex work, and when yeah. it came through our house and they asked me to testify, we didn't have there was nobody from Vermont who was here to support the bill. So it came from an outside. It actually came from someone from Chicago who who was supporting the bill. And my main testimony was, show me someone in Vermont who is saying that they want this change in the bill. And and so it's going into a committee now where we all have to talk about it and research. But I'm against even my own colleagues in saying, because I've worked in the prison system and there is not one single woman who has said, yeah, I would really like to decriminalize that because this was a choice of mine. I have not, in 10 years, that has never happened for me.
0: And I feel like they try to pitch it like they're trying to minimize stigma when I highly doubt for each of these individuals, their highest concern is the stigma about the term because I feel like that's how they try to rationalize it. We don't don't want these women to feel like they're, they're a prostitute.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, 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 and then they come with the whole glass ceiling nonsense of how dare you, you know, uh, uh, prohibit a woman from making a living if she wants to make a living. You just heard yes. a very astute, well-accomplished woman, 10 years in the prison system, tell you that she's not met a single woman that 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 would by choice do that. Let me say this to you. We did a study. Copenhagen. Schiphol, Amsterdam, prostitution mecca of the world, okay? Women stand in windows naked, literally. You walk Mm -hmm. in the street and you can order them like you order a burger, okay? Even in that city, globally, only 2% of women who are in the prostitution cycle, right, have said that they would consider to stay there if they had another option. So th- therefore, only 2% of women that we deem prostitutes are actually prostitutes. If a girl was touched by her father 9 o'clock at night in her bedroom, and her whole world regarding sex and personality and sexuality was altered, and now she ends up in prostitution, she's a victim. She's not a prostitute. She's not a sex worker. There's nothing about this that that would help if you legalize sex work. Here's what you're gonna do. You're going to increase minor sex trafficking through the roof. Because the pimp knows the second that girl turns 18, it's legal. So I'm yes. gonna groom, I'm gonna groom more 15 year olds, trap them, enslave them, entrap them, get them in bondage because the day they turn 18, it's free lunch. It'll be a catastrophe.
0: Thank you for that. Just to kind of chime in for a second, because I think this speaks to really the whole meaning of the show in the first place. So, Yako, I don't know if you're familiar with our actual tagline, but it is, if something's wrong in the world, don't just complain about it. Actually get out there and roll up your sleeves and get to work. So what we're really talking about here is, other than doing the work in your homes with your own family and with your school system, this if this is important to you and you see the bigger picture of why humanity needs to address this now, you need to get in that seat on the PTA. You need to run for city council. You need to occupy these positions in government if you want things to change. Because as much as we all want to hope that someone's going to listen to our pleas from social media on an issue. The only way to ensure that we make the change is to actually get in the seat yourself. So if this is something that you feel calling for on your heart. Maybe it's time to go make a run yourself. I know that's certainly something that I'm going to be doing.
1: But, but Z, I'll tell you this. One of, the, one of the, the biggest dupes we've taken as Americans is we, and I'm telling you this, we all focus on the office of the president, whoever it is, whether it's President Bush, Obama, Clinton, President Trump, doesn't matter. We have absolutely been convinced that the down ballot doesn't matter. And so it just goes to the, it goes to the immoral We don't show up or really pay attention to who we vote in as the county judge, the mayor, the school principal, the PTA members. We abandon those things. We just let them happen. right? And then we deal with real issues with our children because the president of the United States does not affect your child day to day like the principal of the school. Or the counselor at the school or the PTA that's deciding what sex curriculum Curriculum. needs to come into that school. You're making a point now where we actually need to have the good people step up and go do the work. Get involved. If you want it better, be one of the ones that
0: vote on it. Amen. Yes, amen. And Kira, thank thank you for everything that you do in your community. And I can't wait until all of this COVID nonsense has passed so that we can get back into the prison and do more break workshops. Yes, me too. Okay, I would
1: love to meet you in person, buy you the most amazing latte you've ever had somewhere. (laughs)
2: Bless you you. have
0: I have a feeling that the triad of our paths have crossed for a reason and that we will certainly continue on with something else in in real life. Kira, thank you so much. I'm going to put you on mute. I appreciate everything that you contributed. Thank you. So as much as I would love to take it to more questions, I unfortunately have to wrap up because I need to go to my doctor's appointment. Yako, I am so honored that you took the time to meet with us today. I'm sure this will be my highest ranked podcast to date, not just because of who you are, but just because of the content. This is something that I have no doubt will be shared by many, many family members. This is really important content. And as much as what other people want to think and talk about right now are kind of more the political heated issues. This issue and the things that we address today has a ripple effect into everything that you're watching unfold right now. So make this a priority. Yako, is there anything that you want to leave us with for closing words?
1: I want to thank you for the work you do for your listeners, for being actually engaged. I know sometimes we preach to the choir, but we need to, we need to mobilize and be proactive about About these things because it is we don't have a country. Forget about what you want to vote in political party. We don't have a country if we've lost the innocence, the freedom, and the morality of our of our uh, society and our children. So you're a champion, mama. It's gonna go well in this doctor's appointment. Okay, come on, come on. We I'm speaking life over you, woman. Speaking life over you. It's gonna let me know. That it I, went will. Well, I will I will let be, you
0: know as soon as I'm done.
1: I'll be praying for you. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, you Yako me. and
0: I will, I will connect with you sometime after this so that we can figure out what else we can collaborate on, and I'm just so grateful for you taking the time. Sorry that you guys didn't get to see this man's face, but I'm sure that we'll do something again in the future, and just thanks to everybody that waited while we dealt with our tech issues, and Yako thanks for everything. I appreciate it. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of The Modern Good. To find out more about Break Method, head to breakmethod.com and to check out my workshops and public speaking schedule, busygold.com. I'll see you next week.